we've been talking about champions of faith and we've been trying to bring out some of the biblical characters of faith that that might encourage us on this walk and so we've looked so far at men but you know the Bible is filled with many women that were known for their faith and their trust in Christ so far we've talked about you know men like Noah or David or Joseph or Abraham last week but this week we're going to talk about a woman a woman by the name of Rebecca who just happened to be Abraham's daughter-in-law she would become Abraham's daughter-in-law if you'll take your Bibles and you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 24 when you get bored over the next few minutes you'll have an eye that was supposed to be funny <laughs> I can tell nobody laughed uh, but seriously as I'm as I'm talking to you and as I'm sharing maybe some things that might Rebecca might share uh, if she were to come out of the stands and walk alongside of us in the journey of faith, uh, chapter 24 is where we're taking all of our information from today. Um, remember last week we talked about later on in Abraham's life, God had promised him that he would be the, the father of many nations, yet he didn't have a son, he didn't have an heir. But that time came in God's appointed time when he his wife, Sarah, gave birth to a son. His, his name was what? Isaac. His name was Isaac. And Isaac would grow up and, and, and he would eventually come to that place in life where, where he was at that stage of desiring marriage or, or he was at that age of, of becoming a man and leaving his own home. But Abraham didn't want him to leave for whatever the reason. It could have been the fact of culturally it was the responsibility sort of parents played a huge role in picking the, the spouse of their children. Isn't that a, that's a pretty good idea, isn't it? I mean, if your if child comes bringing a jerk, you go, no, we're not going there. Let me, let me, let me go show you who you're going to marry. And, uh, but it could have been culturally because that was a thing the parents were supposed to be involved in that time. Or it could have been the fact that Abraham had waited so long for his son to be born that he didn't want to let him out of his sight. How many parents have had children that didn't want to let their children out of, uh, out of their sight when it came that time? You ever been that way? So maybe there was some of the leaving of the nest that Abraham was, was experiencing. But when that time came, Abraham didn't want Isaac to leave. And so what he said is, I'm going to send my chief priest, or I'm going to send my chief servant out to, to locate a wife for you. He gave him a few things. He loaded him up, his servant, with ten camels. Now, that's a pretty good thing to load your, your servant up as he's headed out to look for a wife. Ten camels he gave him, jewelry and goods, and he sent him off to look for a wife. And basically, this is how the story goes in Genesis chapter 24, verses 12. I'll start out there. So the servant, he heads out. He comes to a place by the name of Nahor where there was a spring and he stopped. And you know, one of the, there must have been a tremendous amount of pressure that this guy was feeling because he stopped and one of the first things that he does when he arrives there is he begins to pray. How many of us pray when we're, when we're in search? You're looking for God's blessing. You spend time praying and, and saying, God, I want you to know that I'm dependent on you. Look at what, look at what the servant prayed. He said this, O oh Lord God, my master, Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside the spring. I'm standing here 
beside the spring. And he does something that's somewhat unusual. It was pretty familiar, I guess, in the Old Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. We don't necessarily see it in the New Testament. But it was like, okay, God, I'm going to sort of throw this fleece out to you. And if this happens, then I'll know that you're involved in it. And then this will be the direction that I go. But in the New Testament, we know that the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us direction and lives inside of us. So we don't have to go out and throw out a fleece because the Holy Spirit is our guide and he is the one that instructs us on which way to go. But you see the servant here, he he goes out and he throws out a fleece and he says, Lord, I'm looking for direction and this is what he says. He's there by the spring and the young women in the town are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, this is my request. I will ask them, please give me a drink from your jug. And if she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. When she says that, I will know that that's the one. Let her be the one that you've selected as Isaac's wife. God, I'm depending on you. This is how I will know that you've shown unfailing love to my master. Now, this really doesn't seem like an awful big deal to us, but we're going to talk about these ten camels in just a few minutes because it's a really, really big deal as a matter of fact. Ten camels. You might want to just sort of underline that. And look at what it says in verse 15. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca, who is the star of our story today, coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. And she was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abram's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. So you've got this young girl that comes out. She comes out to the spring. She's carrying her water bottle. Um, She's here and, and... He asked, can I have a drink? And she says, sure. Sure, I'll give you a drink. But in addition, I'm going to water your camels too. Do you mind if I do that? That's a big step. I mean, a big step from saying, here, I'm going to give you a drink. I'm I'm really comfortable at giving you a drink. But I also want to be able to to water your camels. And the complexity of that doesn't seem like it's not, not really that big a deal until you start doing some math. And I did some math on this. I don't know if you know anything about camels, especially 10 camels. Does anybody have a clue how much water camels drink? Now, a low estimate, a low estimate, 20 gallons. I'm going to tell guys, that's half. I'm only telling you to say, in reality, I'm going the bottom line. You're talking half, 200 gallons it would have taken to water those camels. 200 gallons. Let's just say that this woman had a five-gallon pot that she toted around. When's the last time you've measured how much a five-gallon pot of water cost or weighed? 41 to 42 pounds is what it weighs. That's an awful lot of water. So you got 10 camels, you got 200 gallons of water. Let's just say that she's got a five-gallon pot. That's 40 trips to the watering hole to feed these camels. Now remember, I've got it cut in less than half. If you're to feed those, if you're to water those camels, how, in the, how long do you think it would have taken? I mean, it's not like here's a drink of water and listen, here's a drink for the camels too. I mean, we're talking about several hours of work here is what she had done. Here it is in the midst of it. It's a really huge deal. I mean, how many of us would take several hours out of our life to commit to somebody that we don't even know? We won't even help our neighbor out for an hour or two, much less somebody that we don't even know. But this woman says, here, she says, listen, I'll give you a drink of water. By the way, I'll also water your camels as well. That's a huge deal. 
a huge deal to a perfect stranger. And I think that if Rebecca were to jump out of the stands and she were to walk alongside of us in the midst of life, one of the things that she would say to us would be this. I think she would say, be generous. Be generous. Be generous. Be willing to not only go the first mile, but to go the second mile. Because it was her act of generosity. And it was the going of the second mile that would lead Abraham's servant to go, that's the one. That's the one. That's the one that, that, that God's got for, for Isaac. I know that's the one. And so that day he would unload the goods and the jewelry and everything that he had and he would give it to Rebekah. And the servant would end up sharing the story of why he had come with her family and even though Rebecca had never met Isaac, she left with him and she would go back and she would become the wife of Isaac. And she would eventually become part of the family that would be of the bloodline of Jesus himself. Ten camels? A drink of water? Not that big a deal? A huge deal. And so as we look at the story today and ask ourselves, what might Rebecca say if she were to walk out of the stands and she were to walk among us, she would say, be generous. But I think there are some other points that she might share with us today. And I wanted to be able to share those with you. And you might want to write them down. Number one, you can't be generous with strings attached. You can't be generous with strings attached. How many times do we give something with the expectation of getting something in return? And what happens when you don't get in return what you expect what happens anger bitterness I mean it just fuels the fire you give but there's a motivation behind your giving the motivation behind your giving is I'm going to get something back so I don't really mind giving but I think Rebecca would say you can't be generous with strings being attacked see Rebecca's motives that day I have to believe were nothing but to serve and to be generous Nothing but to serve and to be generous. You know, there's something about people who give and serve willingly. I got a phone call Friday. I was, I was, uh, I was talking to, to, to somebody. I made a phone call to Steve Painter. Steve tells me about this family. They were, they were trying to locate me, and, and so I, I ended up calling them back. It was a senior adult couple. Steve, you know what the first thing they said to me? I don't know who the bald guy was. I don't know who the bald guy was, but this is all I know. What a fine, young, they said young man they met. And they said, wow, what a servant. You don't find men like that anymore. And I said, you're exactly right. But you so impressed them that day. And you know, Steve, when you serve, I know you, don't, you serve with no strings attached. Why do you do what you do? Because number one, it's a gift. Number two, you do it as unto the Lord. And you had an impression. You made an impression. And Paul said, listen, when we serve willingly, it's contagious. And then Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he says, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. How many of us give as a response to pressure? All right, if, you, if I got to, you know, if I need to, if that's what it's going to cost me, I'll do it. 
For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. We don't give to get, but we give cheerfully. And the Bible says that when we give cheerfully, God gives all that we need. Then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. An abundance. An abundance. The second thing that I think Rebecca would share in reference to generosity is this. You can't walk the second mile unless you have first walked the first one. Let me say that for you again. You can't walk the second mile until you've first walked the first one. Rebecca would say, listen, be faithful with what God has given you before you make future plans on what you think God is going to bless you with. Be faithful in these small things that you have before all of a sudden you begin to make future plans with things that you've not been, you've not been faithful with. In re- reference to time, let me tell you something. There's always going to be another thing on our schedule. In reference to money, there's always going to be another bill to pay. But the reality is we will always be faced with conflicts in our schedules and our checkbooks. But Rebecca knew where she was headed. She had an attitude of generosity. She had an attitude of service. And the one thing that we know about Rebecca wasn't the fact that she was loaded with financial resources, but she took what God had given her and she used it for His glory. When's the last time you've, you've done a, a, a sort of a, an evaluation of, of how you're using your resources? Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says this, If you're faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. If you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. And the passage goes on to talk about about God looks over us and how we use the resources that's been entrusted to us. Not just in money, but listen, how do you use your smile? Man, I saw some people on Friday, and the only thing I could see was a a frown, and I thought to myself, oh, they they must love Jesus. The lady that was behind, the one lady that was fussing, I mean, buddy, she was just pitching a fit at the store. She came up and she said, bless her heart, she was in such a hurry. How do you bless, do you use even your smile? Man, do you use your handwriting to bless, do you use your iPhone to bless somebody and say, listen, I'm going to encourage them today. I mean, what do you do with the resources that God has given you? Not necessarily always monetary, but how do you use the resources that God has given you to bless those around you, to encourage those around you? Scripture says, it goes on to say in that passage in Luke 16 a little bit later, no one can serve two masters. We can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and anything else. It's God's first. God first. And so if I'm serving God, how do I use the resources that God has given me to bless others? The third thing that I think Rebecca might say was this, you can't take it with you, but you surely can send it on a hand. You know, you've always heard the story about the the hearse and the U-Haul, and you can't take it with you, you know that? You've heard that before. One day, this lady was meeting with with her husband, they were talking about the about what happens when I die. And her husband looked at, looked at his wife and said, listen, when I die, he was a wealthy man. I want you to bury me with all my money. She thought, this guy has lost his mind. He said, no, honey, just listen to me. I want you to bury me when I die with all of my money. Well, he died 
he died. They're having the service. Things are going on. The casket's open. His wife walks up. She's got a box. She lays that box. They close the casket. And one of her friends says, honey, what in the world did you stick in this casket? And she said, well, I just wanted to be able to honor my husband's request. He asked that if I would place everything that he owned, if I would send it with him. And she said, so I wrote him a check and I put it in that box. Some of you are going to catch that a little bit later. (laughs) Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle, and this is what he said. The premise behind that little book was you can't take stuff with you, but you can send it on ahead. And this is what Jesus said, and it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth which moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven which moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where... Where? Where what? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart at? What are you investing in? There's not a thing wrong with stuff. But let me remind you of something, guys. Stuff is temporary. Think about all the things in your house. Think about all the things that we have that are temporary that we always are wanting to replace. I mean, we can't wait till that new iPhone comes out or that new Samsung, whatever it is. We're always having to upgrade, outgrade, downgrade, you know, whatever it may be, because we've got to have the latest and the best. And all of those things are temporary, aren't they? They're worthless. And I think Rebecca would say, listen, invest your resources in those things that count for eternity. You know, the things that seem to count really aren't monetary, are they? Think about it. A smile, a hug, a letter of encouragement that spurs another person on. I can't tell you how many times. I bet you what Mike says it, but I know that Mike received letter after letter after letter after email after phone call after text. And those things, Mike, are the things that have helped sustain you and your family during this time. Oh, just, Dale, I want you to know how I want you to know we're praying for you. We're, we're in here for you. What can we do to help? Those things are lasting. They're lasting. What we do, everything that we do, all the resources that God has given us impacts the lives of others, whether they're negatively or positively. And Rebecca seemed to understand that. And here it is, she takes a two to three to four or five hour block out of her day and whatever it was, and she uses that block in her efforts to be able to serve. And in her service and generosity, she would come become the 37th great, 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 whatever it is, grandmother of Jesus himself. It's a big deal. Fourth thing that I want to share with you is this, don't wait for the feelings begin with obedience don't wait for the feelings begin with obedience you might want to put a star by this because this pretty much applies to all of life doesn't it pretty much applies to all in life I remember Brian said one time he said his dad told him he said son do the things that you got to do up front then the things that you want to do later Isn't that right Brooke I saw that posted somewhere the other day Yeah, do the things that you've got to do. 
do those things up front. Do them first. Do the things that you want to do. Do them a little bit later. Because how much of what we do is based off of feeling instead of principle? And Rebecca would say, don't live your life off of feeling, but live it off of principle because feelings will lead, lead you astray. How many of us function out of feeling? Anybody ever made this statement? This is a religious statement. Well, I just don't feel led by Jesus today to do that. We laugh, but that's, that's, that's serious, isn't it? I just don't feel led. I don't feel God calling me. That's a religious excuse to say, I just don't want to do it. Feelings. I'm waiting on God. Do you think that watering camels was on Rebecca's list of things to do that day? No. I don't think it was. Probably not. But she understood the principle of doing first and then waiting on the feelings to follow. There'd be some times that if I worked off of feelings, I wouldn't even get out of the bed. You ever felt that way? Feelings and obedience. This is what I'm saying is how in life do we lean towards obedience? How do we lean towards generosity before that need is ever there? How do we demonstrate generosity? How do we demonstrate obedience in the small things, know where we're headed? If I'm obedient in the small things. I don't know how you use the resources that God has given you, but let me tell you this right here. If you want to find out where your priorities are, go back, pull your checkbook out, pull your schedule out, and all of a sudden you're going to see where your priorities are. You're going to see what, where you spend your time and where you spend your money, and then you'll put it at the top of, the, top of that list. You'll find out this is what my God is. This is what I value the most. This is what I entrust the resources that God has given me. This is what I, I tend to say, this is more important than those other things, how I spend my money and how I spend my time. Through the years, you know, religious people, we talk about 10%. A 10% a tithe, a tithe, a tithe, an offering, a tithe would be 10% of what we earn. An offering is that that's above that, above and beyond. You know, we like 10% because it gives us a number to work towards. But the Bible says in Psalms 24 that everything is the Lord's, not just 10% of it. Everything is the Lord's. Everything is the Lord and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. See, the owner is the one that has the right. The steward has the responsibility of using the resources that God has given him in such a way that it pleases the master. And guess what role we fall in, folks? We're not the owners. He's the owner, and we're the stewards, given the responsibility. See, you think that what you've done, see, that you think that the monies that you've earned, you think that the properties that you've bought, or you think that the things that you've, that you've accomplished in life is because you're good or you're talented? Let me tell you something. The Lord gives as He pleases. And let me say this. He removes from us that which He pleases. So how do we utilize those funds, understanding whatever it may be, our finances, our property, our affairs, our assets, or whatever it may be, our smiles, 
How do we manage that which God has given us in such a way that it pleases the Lord in everything? Malachi 3.10, we always go back to this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a what? Blessing. Underline the word blessing. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it and put me to the test. Now, the local church today is the New Testament source of what we would call the storehouse. But that word blessing, see, we think about it in realms of prosperity. If, if, I, if I give, then God's going to bless me financially. And let me tell you where it comes from. God blesses you. That word also means peace. And you know what happens when we obey God? There's a sense of peace that falls and follows Man, listen, when I use the resources that God has entrusted and I'm obedient to Him, regardless of what that resource may be, when I begin to use those resources, whether it's my business, whether it's my time, I don't care what it is, and all of a sudden, God says, listen, I'm going to bless you, not just prosperity-wise, not just financially, for the pastors that you've heard of teach on that, listen, forget about that mess. We're talking about obedience leading to blessing, which means peace. How many of us are looking for peace? Peace. And you know what happens when we don't have peace? We work harder. We strive harder and longer looking for things that will bring peace. We spend money and we spend time and we spend efforts trying to find for those things to bring us peace. And there is no peace in that. It only makes us more frustrated. That's what it does. But I will pour out a blessing on you so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Giving isn't a salvation issue, but it's a, it's a, it's a source of recognition of ownership. There's no way, no way that we can grow in God and not manage God's resources effectively it can't happen it can't happen so how do we give him control of the resources that he's blessed us with see rebecca looked at things from a different perspective and i think she would say to us if she were to walk alongside of us give an account listen evaluate how are you using what god has given you couple of last things really quickly there is no act of generosity that's too small Rebecca would say only water in a little bit of time <laughs> I would say that tip that you give the waitress at the restaurant I would say that letter that you write that encouraging word that hug that brightens someone's day that can lighten the load I'm saying letting the person that's beside you that's you notice that's trying to get in that parking spot instead of you turning on your blinker to let them know that that's your parking spot. You go, hey, you take it. Me? You don't see that in the villages too often, do you? <laughs> or you're at that four-way stop and you're in that hurry and you're like going, you know, you know, no, you go. You better do that anyway or somebody may hit you these days. I think you sort of get what I'm saying. The parking spot, the smallest things in life have a way of counting, but there's no generosity that's too small. 
I would love for us as a church to be known as a generous church. But there is no generous church unless there's generous people. Are you with me? Wouldn't it be neat that any time that there was a need, that we had the opportunity to meet it? And as I look upon the audience, I think of how much God has blessed us all. Man, he's poured out so much on us. We talked about generosity being something that's sort of captivating. Can I tell you a story really quickly? I see Diane and her mom in the back, and Diane's been, she meets with a group of ladies on Tuesdays, and Diane's mom fell a while back. She had some complications, so Don, Diane's been held at home, and, and that group of ladies said, listen, we, don't, we, we miss Diane. We don't, we don't want to do without her, so instead of meeting here, why don't we get together? Why don't we go to Diane's house? And then one says, I think Brenda Keel says, listen, I'll tell you what, so that you can get out and go spend some time, Brenda said to Diane, Diane, I'll come, I'll come stay with your mom while, while you can go and do some shopping and spend some time alone. That's generosity. I think, about, I think about Bart Lucas and the numbers of time that people have said, I'm in need, and Bart said, man, I'm there. I'm there. No strings attached. No strings attached. The numbers of stories. I, I think about Jerry and Carol Kingery, and I think about you know, Hillary saying, you know, right now with the seizures that I'm having, I can't drive. Tom's at work. I need a, I need a ride to be able to get to, to, the, to the doctor's office. And Jerry and Carol saying, listen, we're there. When, when can we pick you up? Generosity. And Rebecca would say, there's no act of generosity that's too small. What would it be like to be a church that was known for acts of generosity? That's contagious people. But most, most of the time these days, what we say is, I just don't have any time. I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. But what would it be like for us to be known as a generous church? A generous church is filled with generous people. And so, God, how will you use me today to impact the lives of others? What investment will I make today that's eternal? What about the people that are serving in children's environments right now or greeting people as people come in the door or the, or the great music that we have every Sunday that brings glory to God, that there's not a person that's up here that's trying to bring glory to themselves. But they're here saying, I want to be able to use what I have. I want to be generous with what gift I have. That's huge. I want to make a difference. What about the people who give so, so regularly and, and, and graciously uh, to the tithes and offerings of Heritage Community Church. <laughs> I was in a conversation this past week with a non-believer. And uh, he said to me, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I work with people. Is that your full-time job? Sort of. Well, how do you make a living off the tithes and offerings of people? Oh, is that like dues? I said, no. It's out of the generosity of people. This is a non-believer. I'll always remember Larry Dasher approaching Brian and saying, now, now that I've been to churches, there are like some dues that we're supposed to pay. See, see, people on the outside, they don't know the language of the people on the inside, so they're just trying to suppose what it's all like. 
But it was such a fresh conversation, having this conversation with this guy. And he's like, I don't really know. And then we got into all these other conversations about faith. But your tithes and offerings are very gracious because you allow us the opportunity to do the work that we do. To sustain this building and to, and to do the work within the community that we've been doing for the past six or seven years. We're very grateful. And I think Rebecca would again go back and say no act of generosity is too small. The second thing that she would say would be this. Our generosity often outlives us. Again, I go back to this building. This building is not something that we have as a result of anything that we've done, but people that had a vision and people that invested multitudes of hours, multitudes of resources, and we have the ability of being able to use this. What a great blessing. What are you going to leave behind personally? Corporately, what will we leave behind? Not just our great visions of buildings, but about lives. Take, take buildings out of it, but what about lives? What investment will I make that it lives on and outlives me? Jesus said in John 4, 38, I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. And the last thing is, don't you want your life to count don't you want your life to count I mean that Garen would be known more than just a, a good a good cowman a good cattleman that Wes would be known than, for, for more than just you know a, a, a good mechanic a good jack of all trades and the mayor of Oxford <laughs> that Chris Bell would be known for, for not just you know, a business over here, but he would be known for more than that, or the, or the mayor of Fruitland Park, there would be something beyond that. And the stories go on and on and on. You know, Scott would be more than just a, you know, a commercial guy with the villages. But what eternal investment are you making? Don't you want your life to count? Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask you a question today while every head is bowed and every eye is closed and the question is this if you were put on trial today would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a generous obedient person let's just say that your checkbook was open and it was made public and it showed where you placed your resources how you used your resources do you believe that God would be blessed would you be ashamed What about your spending habits when it showed priorities? What would those priorities be? What about in reference to your use of time? Just a one-on-one -on -one question. This isn't about your spouse. This isn't about your kids, your grandparents, or the person sitting next to you. But let me ask you a question. What are you investing in today that's eternal? What's most important to you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a generous, obedient person? How many of us would say today, man, I tell you what, if I'm really honest, I'd be ashamed if somebody were to look at my checkbook because it would show that I've not been a good steward of, my, of God's resources. How many of you would say if, that was, if, if my checkbook was open, if my expenditures were placed out, how many would say, man, I, I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed about the way that I go about using the resources that God has given me? Would you just raise your hand where you are? Nobody looking. This is just between you and the Lord. Yeah, it's really hard. 
This is an honest look. What about your time, your schedule? See, you may, some of us like to give, and you know, maybe we were given, but our time schedule is ridiculous. What if we were to open up our schedule today and we were to look? How many of us could say that we're being a good steward of our time? Or maybe there's some adjustments that need to be made. Anybody raise their hand on that? Yeah. A few more hands. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you because I want us to be a generous church, an obedient church. Father, help us today to, to hear the words of Rebecca. Ten camels doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in reality, it was a huge deal in that time. Hours, hour, hours upon hours, she probably invested in that one, in that one activity. And yet it demonstrated her generosity and it, genera- it, it, it demonstrated her obedience. Thank you for what we can learn from that story. Thank you, Father, that, that you've given us and blessed us with so much. Help us to, to be better stewards of what you've entrusted us. And to be better stewards, it means, first of all, we recognize that you're God and that you're the owner of everything. And so let us go back to even to the basics, Father, recognizing that today. Lord, you're the owner of everything, and if that's true and I'm your steward, how do I manage your resources in such a way that my decisions reflect my faithfulness, faithful obedience to you? How do my decisions, or how can they be reflective of God? I want to honor you. I want to please you with my decision-making. Being a good steward means that we recognize who the real owner is. So may we do that today. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, there may be somebody that says here today, I need to get my life right with the Lord. I know the Bible tells us that God loves us. But the Bible also tells us that God was very generous towards us. See, God would never ask anything from us that he himself hadn't already given. Can you imagine the generosity of a heavenly father sending his son to die on a cross for our sins? May we never forget that generous act. He would die for our sins and would pay a price that we couldn't pay. And for those of us that are here today that may not have a relationship with God, it all begins with an acknowledgement of need and dependence. That I need you. I need you. I need you. Is there anybody here that would say, Lord, I need you. You don't have to raise your hand or do anything. But if you need him, just tell him. I need you. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. Lord, I've just blown it. But I recognize the fact that you're God and that you love me and that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And today, even though I don't understand it all, I want to come to that place that I trust you and I obey and I follow you. I want to commit my life to you today. If that's you, would you just say, that's me. Raise your hand right there where you are. Raise your hand. I'm not even looking myself. This is between you and the Lord. And after the service, if you want to come to me and say, that's the decision that I need to make, I'll be here. You come see me after the service. And Father, as we close today, may we hear the words of Rebecca. May they echo in our ears as we leave. 
And may we cultivate an attitude of generosity here at Heritage. May it be something that's constantly on our minds because there's a war that takes place between the flesh and the spirit. Help us be reminded to pause. Help us to be reminded in those moments where there's opportunities, where we're headed, to be able to take that moment out to stop and to help as needed. Remind us that the resources that we have are not our own, but they're yours, and we are your stewards. I pray that as we walk out these doors, our generosity would be contagious. And as we walk, others would see Jesus in us. And it would create such a stir within the community. The people would go, what is going on there? That people's lives are so radically different. I want that. May we leave these doors today to live out of a heritage of faith to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be an ambassador for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.